You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I want to invite you guys to open up to uh, the Gospel of Mark, Chapter 1. If you just joined us here today, maybe you're new here, um, just right on time. This is it. God's timing is perfect. And uh, we're typically making our way through whole books of the Bible, from left to right. And uh, what you have in front of you in Mark chapter 1 is a gospel. It's a biography of Jesus, not just to tell you who he is, but also to call you to, to follow him and to make him Lord. And uh, as you know, there's four different gospels. You ever wondered, like, why there has to be four different versions of the story? I mean, didn't we just get it the first time? And uh, accident happens on the side of the street. We're all going to see it differently. We're going to say the same event. But we're going to see it from different angles. And so it's great to have interpretations and eyesight and sight points from four different authors. And so the gospel of Mark, or Matthew, rather, is... Um, recognizing Jesus as king, like he's not just a teacher and a rabbi, he's come um, to come sit on the mountain of Galilee to teach the disciples, like you and me, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and, uh, and different from our kind of presidencies and things like that where, where political pundits are always trying to spin stories and get you to want, want what they want and, and vote for what they vote for. He's a good, wise king, and he just teaches the truth, and he speaks to us to the heart, and that's a good teacher. And, and you know it's said about Luke is that uh, Luke is always... Uh, talking about meals. And Luke, somebody's always coming to a meal, leaving a meal, because there's nothing more human than breaking bread, because everybody eats. And so Mark reminds us he's a human too. He's not just a king, but he's a human like us. He's lowered himself. And, and, and John comes to talk about the big things of God. You know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And, and there's seven I am statements that remind us of what, how God revealed himself to Moses, that he's not just a, a, a human dude that practices social justice. He's not just a wise teacher, but he's God that we might believe. That's why he wrote that book. And then lastly, you know, this one, Mark. Mark is a very active, sporadic. Some of you guys may be with a little more ADD. Think like this, kind of action-oriented. And medius rests is the way that film critics talk about it, just starting off really fast and never stopping. Because um, if you meet somebody, you don't have the narration. You just see the events that happen. Um, you don't just get introduced. You get exposed to who they are, the person and the work of Jesus. You get to, to meet that person without anybody telling you who it is. And you just have to interpret it yourself. It's very startling and sometimes brings out a lot of anxiety if you just read how fast-paced some of this is. But he's not just aimless in giving you a bunch of miracles to remember how cool he is. It's a very specific message. And Mark wants us to know that he wasn't just king. He wasn't just God. He wasn't just a man on the street. He was a suffering servant. Huperetes is a word, a nautical word of a, of a sailor being underneath the boat. Sailors rowing that boat and all those people are drinking cocktails and singing and hang, hanging out on the top of the boat getting suntan. And they don't see the servanthood underneath that boat pushing and I wonder sometimes, you know, at a, at a time like this, um, when we are believers and we're celebrating life and healing and wisdom and abundance, we realize that the kingdom didn't come here for free. Like we, we get the kingdom without a cost, but it costs somebody something. That the servant, the suffering servant came to die. He didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom has a cost. And therefore, anyone that follows after him um, would be cross carriers. So... Uh, in 2004, I'll start off with a little bit of a reminiscence today. I uh, had a fateful conversation with my roommate, Stephen Cuffey, at the Campus Crusade for Christ. He said, Oliver, have you ever heard of Facebook before? Facebook. I come from like an Asian family, so the only thing I ever heard of Facebook was like Facebook and study. You know, that was the only one that I knew about Facebook. Oh, yeah, Facebook, you won't believe it. You get on there, and you can type little notes on people, and if you see somebody cute, you can just poke them. 
It's like the weirdest, right, like interaction societally we ever came up with. It's like, why would we get on the internet with all this technology and just poke? Well, that's what we did. That's the only thing you could do. You couldn't post, couldn't like, couldn't subscribe. You just uh, said, hey to people, what's going on? And so, uh, you know, time went on, and they got timelines, and they got pictures, and pretty soon it just got to be like a big just mess over there in Facebook. I'm still over there, but you know. Uh, in 2011, when you're a youth pastor, you get to keep up with the, with the changing times, and some kid comes to me, and he's like, Pastor O, I'm going to help you out right now. He's like, you don't need to be associating yourself down here with the plebeians down here with Facebook. You need to get on Instagram. I was like, I'm on. I'm in. You know what I mean? Like, we'll go to the skiing trip. I'm trying to be, be up with the times. 2011. I get on there on Instagram. My grandpa's not on there. Mom's not on there. I'm just making my pictures look yellow, putting an artistic tint on them, putting tints on things, you know, posting on Instagram from 2011. Love it. Just pictures. Don't say stuff. Just put pictures, you know. Recently, I think it was like, you know, 2019 or something like that, and they were like, my, my daughter was like, Gen Z, you know, don't, don't, don't be on Instagram. Guess what? We got this new thing. It's called TikTok, you know? And I got on there, I swear to you, I had like a panic attack just looking at all these things. It's like my brain was like... And so the verdict is I'm not on TikTok, guys. I'm sorry. You can't follow me on TikTok. I know you want to, right? Because I'm not on there. It's a young man's game. I know where to stop. I know where to start. I know where to get off the wagon. I'm not on, I'm not on TikTok. It's just too, too ADD, you know? Has there been anything in, you know, modern invention um, that has promised us more connection and left us so unknown than social media? That uh, we, we figured out, like, the possibilities of meeting somebody at school or, or, or learning something new or sharing a blog post. All these things are wonderful things that we still get connected with it, but um, with some of the blessings come some of the curses and some of the hard things as well. And there's kind of a thin veneer beneath the, the, uh, beneath the filters and that we can know about the avocado toast that they tasted, but... Uh, we don't know them. You can scroll through somebody's Instagram over the years of their life, and the spouse is in the pictures past a certain year, but then they just disappear apart from the pictures. Because the divorce doesn't happen in the spotlight. It happens between the posts. When people make big changes in their life, maybe they start a business, you see the fruit of that business, but you didn't see the secret place where that business gets started in their heart and their mind, because life doesn't just happen on the posts. It happens between the posts. It happens between the margins. When a child of God makes a decision for Christ, you know, they might not see it on their Instagram post, but it happened, even if it didn't happen you know, in the spotlight. It definitely happened in, in the secret. And so that's what uh, Jesus, he's going to talk to us later on in Mark chapter 4, his greatest parable to describe the kingdom of heaven. You know what he talks about? The kingdom of heaven, he says, is like a mustard seed. It's so tiny until it's huge. And if you weren't watching it, if you didn't have eyes to eat, see it, ears to hear it, you probably wouldn't see it until it just exploded and blew up. And that's the way of the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't grow in the spotlight. It grows in the secret. And so that's the Huperetes. He's under the surface. He's, he's, he's working and dying for people that don't know him. And, um, and in the book of Mark, it's very action-oriented because it's not explanation, it's experience. It's more of a show than a tell, the book of Mark is. And one of the patterns you're going to see starting in this chapter is the word suddenly. <laughs> All of a suddenly, suddenly, Things are going to happen. Things are going to start moving. And, and, that's, and that's on purpose because it shows that the kingdom of heaven is advancing very quickly when Jesus hits the scene. But we can't forget the other second most important word in the book of Mark is the word authority. You look at the top words, 40 words, 40 times of suddenly and, 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 and 10 times authority. I explain it like this. is because to the untrained eye, when the mustard seed sprouts a tree, it looks like it's all of a sudden, but it's been sown a long time ago. My wife, Kyra, you know, she has zinnias growing up in the garden. And you'd come and say, wow, look at how that happened overnight. It didn't open overnight. A seed had to come and, and die within that for it to bloom and blossom. And so it's the word suddenly, as you read it, just remember, it's not suddenly to Jesus. It's suddenly to us. 
all of a sudden the kingdom of heaven, now we have eyes to see, but we can't forget when we see something in the spotlight that it didn't start in the spotlight, it started in the secret. So I'm going to call this sermon today, A Day in the Life of Jesus of Nazareth. A day in the life, walking along, talking with Jesus. This is what we're going to see, a sun up and a sundown scope of the passage today. As you walk with Jesus, if you walk with your favorite preacher, you got down off of his works and his words and his, and his prayer, you'd get to see his life. If you hung out with him for the day, you'd get to see where he ate and what he did when he was frustrated and how he treated people that were different than him. you get to see the person, not just the work of Jesus, if you spent 24 hours with him. And something that I think that caught my eye when I read the scripture this week, and I think would cut your eyes as we read it today, is that Jesus did not live for the spotlight. He lived for the secret. That everyone else around us is so fixated on the material things, the flashy things, the likes and the subscribes, and the notifications, that they're distracted from the spiritual life that makes this thing move. That we are, we are spiritual beings with a physical body. We're not physical beings with a spiritual body. We are spiritual beings, ultimately. Humans are spiritual from Genesis. Number two, that although we're very fixated on the crowds and popularity and committees and the things that are moving and happening, politically speaking, Jesus is way more focused on names. He's way more focused on people. And lastly, where people are very excited about what's going on in the public, Jesus is way more concerned about what goes on between the posts of you and my heart, of the secret place. He's preoccupied with the secret. So Mark chapter 1, we'll just get going here. In verse 21, it says in your Bible there, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one with authority, not as the other teachers of the law. You know, this is a kind of provincial opening for uh, the book of, uh, of Mark here and Day with Jesus. And uh, Capernaum is like a, a fishing town, you know, it's very provincial and slow. And maybe it's a blue law state where there's not drinking going on and there's a football game going on. It's just kind of quiet and the preacher's droning on and people are just kind of sitting there drinking their coffee, not really singing, <laughs> listening to other people sing. Just another Sunday in Capernaum at the synagogue. The Sabbath was meant to be this place that we remembered the seven, six-in-one rhythm and, and, and the seven-day creation that God was going to promise to bring an ultimate Sabbath through, through a, a coming prophet. And synagogue is this place just where 10 guys got together. If you had 10 men, you could get together. So maybe it's not that big of a synagogue at all, but they're just teaching. They're just talking about the Bible. And they didn't have a full-time staff guy. And so they would have to have traveling teachers that would come in. And this traveling teacher came in, but when he opened his mouth, he sort of talked different than other people. He sounded different from the other teachers. Because whereas the other teachers taught um, from authority, Jesus, when he taught, taught with authority. All the other teachers would say, Rabbi so-and-so this, and this statistic says this, and this commentary says this, and you know this quote, this quote, this quote, and Jesus talked like he knew something. And all of a sudden, there's this exposing there, this exposing uh, between the ability for people to gather for church without the kingdom. That these people, there's about to be somebody that gets a demon cast out of them. He's probably been sitting on the membership roll for three years, and he's got a demon sitting inside of him, and not until Jesus shows up that the kingdom actually arrives in this Old Testament synagogue, Right? And so that just shows us, right, that just because people have a website and a 401c3 and a preacher and maybe even somebody that's been to seminary before does not necessarily mean that we are operating the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is wherever even more than two people agree with him. And if two people are agreeing with him, no matter what, that's where the kingdom lives. And if a person sets up a 401c3 and a website and a fancy design and a logo, but there is no agreement with Jesus, you can have church, but you don't have the kingdom. And so Jesus shows up and he's not just teaching from authority, he's teaching with authority. He's not just being busy, but he's agreeing with Jesus, and he's going to see the power of the kingdom of heaven move into the kingdom of darkness right in their gathering. So verse 23 says, just then, immediately it says, 
A man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You know, sometimes this passage teaches us that demons actually have better theology than people do sometimes. Right? And so in these two different verses, you're going to see three little lessons that I picked up on. Maybe you picked them up too in your, in your passage. Three little lessons on spiritual warfare or, or demonology, okay? Because we are not just uh, physical people with a spiritual undertone. We are spiritual beings, and this world is a spiritual place, even though we're moderns, okay? Three lessons in demonology is that you pick up from this. Number one, demons know the truth, but they don't know the future. If demons knew the future, they wouldn't have killed Jesus. If Satan knew the future, he wouldn't have killed Jesus because that was, that was, um, that was blinded from him, and it was actually the thing that he thought was going to bring him victory actually brought him his greatest defeat. Okay? But they do know the truth, and that's the kind of truth that they want to keep us from knowing. That is their business. They don't operate with any sort of power or authority, right? But, but, but they operate in lies. Their ammunition is lies. That's the only, only, only uh, leverage that they have. Second thing that we want to think about from this passage about demons is that they don't create, they only destroy. This is the thing about the dark world, and we do live in a spiritual world, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of darkness can't create, it can only distort, which means that anything down here, including sex, the enemy, the dark world, can, did not create sex. Sex is not evil, it's abused. It is the abuse of something that makes it evil, right? The enemy didn't create dancing. He abuses dancing. And not understanding the use of something always, uses, always causes abuse, but, but getting rid of dancing does not get rid of darkness. Because God made dancing, and it's going to be here, right? So our job in the kingdom of heaven is not, not to get rid of things that God made, but to bring them back under the light of the truth, under the authority of Jesus. They can't create. They can only destroy. Number three, we should know about demons, is that they can show up overtly like they just did in verse 22, but they'd much rather be covert. Like, I believe we should be weary of, of Halloween, thoughtful of that. We should be leery of spiritual wishcraft. We should be weary, leery of other forces and principles. We should also be leery of politics. And we should be leery of HOA people that talk too much. We should be leery of gossip and the darkness that tries to creep in our own heart. We can't get rid of spiritual darkness by just getting rid of Harry Potter. It lives wherever it, it will let it live. It is overt, but it's also covert. So verse 23, just then, as though this just happened, as though he wasn't slain from the foundations of the earth, and this was already set in motion a long, long time ago, a man in the synagogue who had been doing church all of his life suddenly got introduced to the kingdom of heaven. A man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cries out, oh no, that's the part I already read, holy one of God, the truth is revealed, and the spiritual realm for a moment is, is revealed to us moderns, right? But more important than the three lessons of demonology is the one lesson of deliverance that we see in verse 25. Jesus doesn't do a rain dance and run around and sprinkle oil everywhere. He just says, shut up. That's what the Greek means. I mean, be quiet. This is what Jesus does. He doesn't do a rain dance. He just says, be quiet. Jesus says sternly, come out of him. And the impure spirit shook, and the man was violently shaken, and, and, and the demon left him with a shriek. So there's three lessons of demonology, but one lesson is in, in deliverance, and that's up there on the screen that the authority of Jesus is greater than the incantation of man. Do you know what incantation means? Back then, the rabbis would have these like folklores of these, these different dances and seances in the name of so-and-so, and in the name of so-and-so. I just declare in the name of so-and-so that so-and-so is going to happen, and so-and-so is going to happen. There's an incantation that they read in the rabbinical studies of a, of a, of a rabbi who took a piece of, of feces, of poop, 
and put it up to the victim's nose to stank the spirit out of them. Okay? This is what they're coming up. This is what people are coming up with. This is what First Timothy said. They, cut, they get into all these wives' tales and giving enough tithe online and buying sea salts and doing a lot of crazy stuff because they don't know the truth that sets them free. There's actually a, a graveyard that was dug up in, in that mo- mo- ancient day where like out of 120 people that had died, 60 of them had holes in their skull because one of the incantations was to take pieces of the skull and put it around their neck because that's what they thought was going to get spirits out of them. And you know what they needed to get a spirit out of that person is the name of Jesus. One word from the spirit of Jesus beats all the other words. It's not in the volume. It's in the authority. It's in the authority of Jesus. And so this is why we always see teaching with deliverance, right? Because basically demonology in the Bible is taught kind of like getting rid of roaches. You can't just sit here and step on roaches. I mean, you can do it all you want, right? You don't just step on roaches. They just make more roaches. That's what Jesus says. Remember when there's a spirit in somebody, he says you evacuate them of that spirit, they're going to get filled up with six more demons. So it's not, it's, not, it's not trying to do more. It's trying to believe the truth about what Jesus has done in his death, burial, and resurrection. This is why when we come into worship, you don't have to be a Christian to sense the peace and the presence of God. But if you leave here without counseling, repenting, and believing the good news, you're just ready for another week in hell on earth, to be honest. Unless you've been counseled, unless there's been a repentance and belief. So Jesus delivered and he taught. And in verse 27 says, the people were all amazed. That, and they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority. He even gives uh, orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread over the region and it quickly went out to all the four corners of, of, um, of Galilee. And so I'll give a, a quick sermon illustration about this. Um, we have a beautiful, wonderful property out in the Swamp Rabbit um, uh, trail, and we'd like to do church there and sh- share it seven days a week and open it up to our neighbors and see people here and witness and, and, and accept the gospel without having to even darken the doors of a church sometimes. And that's all for the future uh, until we get our plans together by the end of the year. And so uh, this last February, we had this little obstacle where like a third of the building caught fire. And because there's been, you know, movement of um, houseless population, homeless population, we've had people coming in there and the thing caught on fire. And, um, and it was in February that we were out there and it was on fire and I'm just looking at this and I'm heartbroken and I'm realizing this is a nuisance to the community. This is not blessing neighbors. I'm not feeling good about this. And the fire marshal is out there and I'm realizing through all these events that this building is probably going to come down today. It was up yesterday and it's coming down today. And so I talked to the developer and I talked to the elders and I talked to the fire marshal who was not very happy with me. And he talked to the, the county person and I'm like, this thing has got to come down. And so here comes the wrecking crew and they're coming out and they're gonna, it literally was going to get knocked down at whatever time it was. Well, this is how God provides. Greg Stewart. So Greg Stewart, who is uh, the, the, one of the city group coordinators here at the church, volunteer, uh, comes up, and he's very kind. He listens to everybody, and he was thinking it was going to come down too until he asked one important question. Isn't that funny how one important question can stop a chain of a lot of powerful events? And he just simply asked this. Did we decide to knock this thing down because we think it's ugly, or do we knock it down because a, 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 a civil engineer was here to authorize that? Are we knocking down just because we want to, or are we knocking down because we have to? That stopped everything. One word. Stopped the whole entire chain, and then Kim was able to come out there, and we were able to make sure that it was, it was still civilly you know, secure, and we could create a shell, and y'all were out for the meeting and the happy ending and so on and so forth. But it all stopped not because of a wrecking ball. It stopped because of a word. And that's the difference between authority and power is that we could have been out there with signs and posters and you know, tanks and standing in front of wrecking crews and that sort of thing, right? But if the badge and the gun align, then authority, the power always follows authority and not vice versa. And so all it took was one word of truth to stop the entire thing to, to reorient the authorization that was going on in that place. And so here's what I, I take away from all this, is that church is not just a gathering of people that are patting each other on the back. Church is spiritual warfare. 
It is one kingdom colliding with another kingdom. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light that's brought in by Jesus of Nazareth to repent and believe the good news based on the victory he won on Calvary. And so our spiritual warfare there on the screen, as we think about the real spiritual things that can happen to us emotionally and physically and even real spiritual demons and things that can exist in, in our lives from the screw tape letters, right? We fight that battle less so with what we do and more so with what, what is true. Nothing more would please the enemy than us sitting around stomping out roaches for the rest of our days, just running after things and trying new things and giving incantations and singing this way and singing that way, rather than come back to the truth and the sovereignty and the authority of Jesus Christ, to believe the fact that they know and they don't want us to know, and they're trying to distract us in every other way with all the Instagram posts, and this one truth that we need to remember, Jesus is Lord. That's how we can test the spirits in 1 John 4 to know the difference between the Christmas spirit and the Holy Spirit, is the Christmas spirit will never say Jesus is Lord. That's how we know what the Holy Spirit is. And so if you think about spiritual warfare through Ephesians 6, just a couple of examples of this. Paul says the reason why, and I don't believe a Christian can get occupied by spirit, but they think you get attacked. I think we can be spiritually attacked. Just because you didn't get your parking spot does not mean you're being attacked by a demon. But, okay, but we can be on this dark world, and that's why we have to have our depravity of this world, have our feet washed sometimes by Jesus. And one of the things that he's saying by the belt of truth, this is what I think Paul is saying, is maybe because of Harry Potter, but also the way that you can attract darkness, either emotionally or spiritually into your life, is to live in lies. A Christian's still going to heaven, but if they live in lies, they're going to live in a dark spot. And here's how you fight demonic stuff. Worship and praise and, and, and don't get into incantation. Trust in the authority of Jesus and tell the truth. Because, because of the light, if Jesus is the light of the world, he's come here and darkness hates the light, then Jesus has come not to judge us, but to heal us. And everything in your body does not want to confess that sin to your brothers and sisters and to Christ because you feel that he's come to judge you, but he hasn't come to judge you. He's come to be Lord, and he's come to save you. And the confession of, of, our, of our sins, bringing about into confession and repentance, is the thing that heals us. The thing that can attract darkness, right, and, and cause spiritual even oppression and, and ugly stuff to happen to us. You know what the first way, to, one of the greatest ways to get darkness targeted on you? Is to, is to, is to yield into a place of judgment on your brother. You know, it's a great way to get into the world of darkness. Take somebody, just a, a family member or like a, a, somebody that hurt you or a political party and just judge them. This is what he says. The breastplate of righteousness is not the righteousness of man. It's the righteousness of Jesus. And when we put on the breastplate of righteousness that says I'm justified by faith and not by works and I view things through the cross, that is a powerful, mighty weapon in the arsenal of spiritual warfare. You know who, who does not feel all the time the place of peace and spiritual freedom and liberation of the kingdom of heaven is people that are chasing after the, the American dream, chasing after the American dream, looking at that Instagram, comparing yourself, thinking about all the things that you could do to get what they got. He says, don't do that. He says, walk at the feet of peace. Walk knowing that your feet are blessed because the gospel has come to bring you peace, shalom, and justification with your Father in heaven. There's no other comparison that you need to make. That's how we do spiritual warfare, is what Paul says. Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, and he took her hand, and he helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. I love the directions here. It says that Jesus went down to the wilderness, and he went down under the water when he got baptized, and he went up from the water, and the Spirit came down on him, and then he went into Capernaum, and he went down to the mother-in-law, and he prayed for her, and she got up, and as soon as she got up, she went down to serve. This is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of heaven. 
the Jesus we would expect if we're with a celebrity preacher that's come to seek and save the lost, that he's got a crowd coming around. The last thing he's going to do is go to a house. He's going to go out to the crowds, and he's going to go out to the synagogue, and he's going to preach and do deliverance. Because he's a busy man. He's got important things to do. But Jesus, when he sees his first miracle, doesn't turn on his Instagram live. He goes to a home. He goes down on his knees, and he prays for just one. That's the difference between man. When, we, when, we're, when we're in a crowd, all we see is the crowd. We see those people and these people and that crowd and that demographic and what can they do and what are they trying to take from me? We see these crowds. Jesus never saw crowds. He saw people. He saw names. So he's not too busy from this crowd. In fact, he is repelled from the crowd. And he moves into the home to pray for the mother-in-law and Jesus, the spirit of God, heals her and I believe regenerates her right then and there and she begins to take on the character of Christ by serving like him. That's the way, that's the way of Jesus. And so if you were following around your favorite preacher, you'd hear, you know, his speaking and he'd pray for people, but then you'd also see how he acted at Starbucks. You'd also see how he treated strangers and other people of other races. You'd see not just his words and his works, but you'd see his ways. Like uh, one time I saw this YouTube of these people trying out to get the part of Batman in uh, The Dark Knight. And let me just say, that's the reason why Christian Bale is the real Batman. I'm just trying to say that, okay? Right? You see the same actor doing the same lines, but a different way. You've had two teachers before, and they teach about George Washington. They have the same exact timeline, the same exact textbook. But you have a different experience because there's ways to teach history in one way and ways to teach it another way. There are some teachers that you would like to push off a cliff and one that you would like to run off a cliff for. But either way, oftentimes the delivery of the message is just as important as the message itself. And one of the things you notice about Jesus is Jesus is preoccupied with the seeker. In other words, Jesus is not a celebrity, although he's very famous. Jesus is not a celebrity. By nature, he's a servant. He did not come to lift himself up to be a celebrity to be known. He came to be a servant. And you see that ethos, that character, that pattern lived all the way between his social Instagram posts. So here's the common misunderstanding that I think we have as moderns, Americans, Westerners, is we see serving as a means to power, but Jesus sees serving as power itself. There was this uh, message I heard at this conference, you know, and um, basically it was this preacher, and you've heard the message before, He's talking about the biography of David. And the biography of David is this inspirational story because David just started like a guy at Jiffy Lube just like you. <laughs> and he worked out on the field and he was being trained and groomed for the kingdom of God. David was learning how to care for sheep and he's learning how to kill Goliath. And David was made not in the kingdom, but he was made in the field. So if you could keep your head down and serve for long enough, if you keep doing that, then you will get elevated to be in the real place of authority, not in the field. Do you know that story? Not so sure it sounds like the kingdom of God, more like the American dream. And he basically says to you, yeah, I can remember back in 2015, I was back there in the cheap seats like, uh, like y'all, but now I'm up here because serving will get you leadership. Have you ever caught your heart doing that? It's like you're doing this thing and you're doing it to visit servanthood just to get leadership. You're not living in servanthood. That's how I feel sometimes when I catch myself, my right hand listening to my left hand sometimes and telling secrets. Jesus has a very important little conversation with Peter. Do you guys remember this? It's the apex of this whole book when somebody actually gets it and he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah. This gospel probably is a lot from Peter's direct uh, memories of, of the gospel because, you know, John Mark was the, was the partner of Peter and John Mark wasn't an eyewitness, so we assume that Peter was the one that was giving him some of, these inf some of this information. Peter has a, a, really, a day that starts really good with Jesus one day in Mark chapter uh, 10, I think, and then it ends in a really bad day, and that's the time when Jesus asks him who he thinks that he is and Jesus gets the right answer on the test you are Messiah, the one who's come to save us. And he says, well done. I'm going to build my church on that faith. That's the brand that I'm talking about. And the very next lesson, just as soon as you get to become the teacher's pet, pride comes before the fall. 
And Peter gets the bright idea on his high and lofty horse. He's going to pull Jesus aside and have a little come to Jesus moment with Jesus. Jesus, come over here. We're going to rebuke you real quick. It says in the text that Peter is going to rebuke the God of the universe, okay, as if we wouldn't do anything like this. Jesus, we can't do that. Jesus told him he was going to die and get raised three days. We have a PR campaign. We have a whole, look at all of our followers. We need to capitalize this. We need to take this, put it in a bottle, and sell it. We can't, you know, I understand the mustard seed starts small, but now it's big enough. We've got to sell that thing, get a thing to market. Peter says, let me tell you, Jesus says, let me tell you something, Peter. That's not only not helpful, that's actually the root of the problem. That man has come to build, tried to build God's kingdom with its own instruments. Build the blueprint of, without the mater- blueprint of heaven without the materials of heaven. He's like, that's Satan speaking. That's Satan, even doing good, but not doing it the ways of Jesus, not coming down lowly to serve people. Being a celebrity in the name of the kingdom of God is not helping the kingdom of God. It's actually hurting it. And so he's saying, actually, there's only one way that this thing comes. The kingdom of heaven is coming for free, and it does not come through celebrities. It comes through servants. It comes through somebody who's not using servanthood, but somebody who's becoming a servant. To live, like, the goal here is not I'm just going to work at Jiffy Lube until God finally notices me and puts me on the big seat. The goal here is to realize that no matter if I'm down here on the org chart or up here on the org chart, I'm always a servant, just with different amounts of responsibility. But ultimately, a Christian is a suffering servant. A Christian is, is, is a servant. So the end of the day comes, and the 24 hours is kind of coming to a close. In verse 32, that evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who various, with various diseases. And he also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. End of the day, rest. Selah, sunset. Me, 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 me. Alarm goes off. Sunrise, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus gets up, and he doesn't go towards the crowds, and he doesn't go towards the house, and he doesn't even go back towards the mother-in-law to have a testimony time. It says Jesus goes out to the secret place. While he was in the dark, Jesus got up and he leaves the crowds. He leaves the house. He leads Martha and Mary, or sorry, excuse me, the mother-in-law of Peter, mother-in-law of Peter, and he goes out to places where he can't be seen. He doesn't go on social media. He goes into the secret. This is his ethos. This is what he's like. Verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they explained, everyone's looking for you. This is the lesson, right? The lesson of demonology, the lesson of deliverance, and now the lesson, really, of the suffering servant. This is what makes Jesus different from, really, any of us without his grace. Is that celebrities think that things get done with money, and servants get get things done with prayer. That Jesus understood that mustard seeds look big after a couple of months, but they don't start like mustard trees. They start like mustard seeds. And anything that changes anything down here in terms of authority and power starts in prayer. And if you don't have eyes to see that, we won't get anything done because things don't get done through money. They get done through prayer. If I gave you $1,000 and I said, you have a choice to either try to change the world with $1,000 by using an Instagram post or using the $1,000 to change the world through a, through, a, through a word of identity toward the child, if you pick the $1,000 to change the world through an Instagram post, you're a fool. The seeds of the future, the seeds of actually what changes things. Like Jesus isn't just preaching some esoteric, thought, lofty thing that is mystic. He's preaching reality. If you and I really want to change the world, we should speak to children about it. We should care for neighbors about it. We should have enough time one-on-one about it. You know what makes more impact than any social media thing that goes up on our phones is when you see somebody doing something in secret that has no strings attached to it, it has 
10 times the amount of authority and power than that social Instagram post because it's done in secret. And so the prayer language, the, the, the way that Jesus, he is bringing the kingdom of heaven and he is famous and his glory does spread out, but he gets there not through the celebrity, but through the, through the secret. Away from the crowds, even away from the people, he gets it done in prayer, in the wilderness with his father, the way that it all started. So I'll close with this last little uh, illustration just to tie some things together. Um, I'm 40, I got four kids, 17 to 7. One of the things I love about doing neighborhood church, different colors, different ethnicities, different gifts. And I also love getting to know some of you guys' kids. Some of you guys' kids are wild. I'm not going to be honest. I like, I like hanging out with them just out here at church, but I'm like, dang, if I was going home, that would be a whole other story, you know? And so I meet lots of kids. They say little cute things. One time, uh, Julie, uh, when she was the children's director, had them all make like little pens because I gave the sermon about why I like mock three pens or whatever, and so they all wrote these little notes. Um, one time, they, they say funny, sometimes they say funny things, and sometimes they say things, and you're like, I'm not so sure that the Holy Spirit didn't just use you to teach me today. Maybe you came to preach to me, is kind of what I think of sometimes when kids talk to me. Uh, not this one. One of these times, we had a mission Sunday, and uh, this, uh, this uh, person came downstairs and started talking about uh, Guatemala, and the, and the parents asked them what they learned in church that day, and the kid was like, I learned a lot about guacamole, you know? So just to show us, right, about where the Spirit of God and where children begin and end. But sometimes, if you're paying attention, kids will say some really wise things. Uh, like, for example, one time, <laughs> Alec came up to me and said, if the Ten Commandments have, you know, practice the Sabbath in it, and it's part of the Ten Commandments to rest as well as not kill people, why is it that we don't practice the Sabbath? And I was like, sheesh, you know, that was a whole other sermon. I had to get into my commentaries and get back to you on that one, Alec. You know, that was one of them. Um, second one, I was just getting started. I had just, I'm not the most energetic person, but I had just gotten the whole prayer team ready, and we're going to do prayer, and sometimes you all come in late, and here comes a kid, and I'm just like, all right, we're going to pray about this word compassion, and here comes this kid, and he does not tiptoe around into the side and just kind of like make himself, you know, unknown. He goes straight up in front of me, in front of all these people, and he just goes like this, take me to your leader. This is what he said to me, take me to your leader. And at first I was like, man, that's distracting, but then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, huh, you know, Max Lucado, what, what would John Maxwell say? Like, leaders lead people to Jesus. I was like, maybe that's not the worst thing for me to hear right now, right? Leaders lead people to Jesus. There you go. That's what you needed, right? All right. So this is, I, I just need you to get your palate for this one because it caught me off guard, but I had to think about it. One of these kids come up to me one time, and I was serious. Like, I think it was, they came in real late. Like, it was during the middle of worship, and the kid came up to me, and I was, like, praising and doing all this stuff in worship. And the kid came up to me and called me down, and I got right in his face. I could feel, I could smell his breath. He was right here. And he said, do you believe in spiritual murder? And I was like, oh, gosh. That's like the last thing I, no, get by, I don't need to hear that at all. But it made me think. Maybe think about when Jesus says, if you utter rock on your heart against another brother or sister, that's accounting murder. Remind me of John 10 where he says, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus comes as a good shepherd to lay his life down for his sheep and give life and life abundant. And this is what I think I'm getting out of this, this passage this morning. Jesus loves church, right? But Jesus does not play church. Jesus brings the kingdom. We have the 401c3, and we gather, and we hang out and pat each other back, but he's like, I'm not coming here for you to show up somewhere on Sunday. Like, I'm coming to bring a kingdom. Because sin is not just a petty mistake that we're making. Sin is a kingdom. And just like the American government, we got navy, air, land, sea. The world, the flesh, and the devil come. And it's not, messing, it's not a game. It's come to kill and steal and destroy people. This is what I see out of this passage. You know the people that you're hanging out with at CrossFit 
and the people that bug you and the people that you work with and your own people that are coming to Thanksgiving, if they're not underneath the deliverance and the authority of Jesus, if they're not in the kingdom of heaven, if they haven't repented and believed of, 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 of the kingdom of heaven and received forgiveness of their sin, if they're not with Jesus, they're not doing good. This is what I've come to understand of, of doing pastor work. That's one of the things that I meet a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, and people are smiling and they're posting on Instagram, but this is the reality. The enemy comes to steal, steal and destroy, and people don't have Jesus. They're not doing good. They're getting torn apart. They're being destroyed. They're being manipulated. They're coming to our kids early and often, and they're creating anxiety in our kids and, and, and lies about their identity to our kids, and they, and they work on the weak, and they don't care about, you know, gentlemen's discourse in terms of war. They will use lies and oversion and coversion, and they are not, they do not care. And they will manipulate and connive. There are people out there that are so lonely. Usually, here's what I've learned about people when I pastor. It's like the people that are hardest to be around, you should be thankful you're not them because as hard as it is to be around them, it'd be harder to be them. And the people that the most amount of stuff is coming out of them, they actually need you the most. They need the kingdom of God the most. And people without Jesus are not doing good. And they're not playing church. It's like, this, this, like the enemy did not come to play a game. Jesus says, I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven, but this is the thing. It doesn't come through politics and money and celebrityism. It comes through serving. And so this is what we might take from this is, A, if we need to be delivered and we need his protection and his provision, if we're not a Christian, we need to ask him into our heart. And if we are a Christian, we ask to be filled again, right? But if we are filled with the Spirit and we are Christians, we're not here to do church. We're here to do kingdom. And the people that need the casting out of Jesus the most, they're probably not in this room because and so what that tells us is, is that the church is not going to get there by being a celebrity. It's going to get there by being a servant. It's too hard and it's too far. People don't just need another worship song where they feel good and have the butterflies and leave. They need to be counseled. They need somebody to sit them and to be able to divide the difference with the sword of the spirit, the difference between right and wrong, because everybody wants to create their own brand and call it Christian. And so we need the scripture, somebody to sit down there and counsel them, because people that are without Jesus are not doing good. And lastly, not only to be the teaching and the, and the deliverance of Jesus, but the care of Jesus. They need somebody to sit with them. But the way that he sat with that mother-in-law and prayed for her and put his hand, had proximity enough to be touching her. That's what it is. He, he came to bring the kingdom of heaven, but it's not free. It came with the cost. And it comes at the cost of a suffering servant that finds their life, not in the crowd and not even in the house or in the church, but in the place of prayer because prayer is where things get done. So verse 38, he's fresh and full. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. I don't have time for the crowds right now. I don't have time for all the fame and the frills. I've got a mission. And servants, servants are dangerous people in the hands of the Lord because they're unbribed and unfooled and unbullied. And they're moving on to the next thing. So the nearby village, he says, I'm going to go preach there. And that's why I've come, not to be famous, but to be a servant. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. I want to invite the band to come forward um, and uh, invite you to stand as we would just um, reflect on this uh, intentional question today um, as it would just kind of lead us into prayer. But it says this. Do we live for the spotlight or the secret place? The lust of the eyes, what I can do and what I have done and what I have is the thing that tends to draw us away, sometimes from Jesus. It's a fixation with the material world at the expense of the spiritual world, but the material world doesn't tell what the spiritual world does. The spiritual world is the thing that moves things. And so do we have eyes for the secret place, for the spiritual? Do we have eyes for people in the middle of the crowds? Are they just categories of, of enemies and people that we're staying around for? Or are they sheep without shepherds that would draw the heart of Jesus and compassion in us? Are they crowds of people, lastly, for the public or for the secret? Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. 
For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.